Hello and welcome back to another episode of Dispatches from the Dam. I'm your host, Caleb Jarro. We want to thank everyone for your support and ask that you continue to like and subscribe. Today we're talking to the next superintendent of Knox County Schools, Dr. John Ryswick. Dr. Ryswick will replace the outgoing Bob Thomas, taking over almost 60,000 students and almost 7,000 staff. All right, now we're with Dr. Ryswick. Welcome back to Carnes, where you started your, I guess, teaching career in Knox County. It's great to be back. I always feels like home to come here, and it doesn't feel like it was that long ago. It hadn't changed that much, and I still, uh, it's still nice to come every once in a while and, and, and see my old room. <laughs> <laughs> yes, sir. Well, I know you've been interviewed a ton recently, and something you always harp on is your four priorities going mm-hmm. into being superintendent in Knox County. Do you want to uh, – oh, congratulations, by the way. On oh, being, thank you. Thank you very much. Say yeah. that, but what, uh, why don't you dive into those four priorities for us? Sure. Please? Yeah, you know, I, I'll say first of all, you know, Knox County Schools is, is a great school system and, and uh, you know, one that I've spent the better part of 20 years in and, uh, and uh, have two daughters uh, who have both gone through. One's a, one's a freshman in college now and one's a sophomore. Uh, um, and so just, just it's neat. It's neat to be able to be part of it. It's neat to have been able to have been everything from an intern to a teacher to a department chair to an assistant principal to a principal to work in the district office. So. Um, I've, I've gotten to see it at kind of every level and it really is a great place. So, uh, you know, I think I'm, I look forward to the future. I think there are things we can continue to improve on. Uh, and I think at the core of all that is, is students and you know, that's what we're here for. There's, uh, as an organization, that's why we exist in Knox County. That's one way we contribute to the community is really trying to bring the education. So, so for me, it kind of comes down to where I think the, the four places we can make the biggest impact. One is in those, uh, be to be excellent in foundational skills, which really is kind of third grade. Uh, literacy that's really kind of where it starts and you probably remember it's been a few years but that's kind of once you learn to read it kind of opens up everything you you know uh, read to learn after you learn to read kind of thing so you know trying to raise that um, percentage that we have all kids reading you know uh, proficiently in third grade and then also uh, algebra that's kind of ninth grade the algebra is the a lot of students take it in eighth grade but that's kind of the last uh, year for students to be able to get access to those higher math and sciences where a lot of the jobs are for the future and and if they struggle on algebra in their ninth grade year that sometimes that's a lot of uh, remediation and things so I think those are two areas um, I think the other places are a great educator in every school um, and that's both uh, as you know firsthand teachers you know make a make the difference and that's where the learning happens and the relationship happens but also the the leaders of the schools and the principals uh, and making sure that they've got the tools they need and the training that they need to be able to be most mostly effective. Uh, a third area is career empowerment. I mean, uh, that's our goal is that when students leave, like yourself, who will be graduating soon, uh, that you have the skills you need to be successful, not just to graduate, but after you graduate, you have skills to be successful in, in college or if you enlist in the military or if you uh, go straight to work. All those are viable for us, but we want to make sure that the students have the skills, and that's every student in the district. Um, and then the final one is we know we want success for every student. So not everyone comes from the same background. Uh, we do have some, some schools that have struggled for multiple years. We need kind of a comprehensive plan about how all those students can do better. Uh, we have certain student groups that don't perform as high as other ones, and uh, we need to make sure we have the right interventions in place so that, so that everybody can be successful who graduates from Knox County Schools. Awesome. You talk about having success for every student in Knox County in a district as large as ours with almost, you know, 60, 70,000 kids. How do you plan on ending some of the disparities you see in Knox County? That's a good question. You know, uh, Knoxville's unique um, in Tennessee. So it's a, uh, lots of times people say it's the largest small town in the state, you know, we and, and it's probably true. You know, we're um, we're the third largest district in the state uh, and, and somewhere seven, 65th or so in the, in the country. So we're large. 
Uh, we have 90 plus schools, uh, depending on how you count virtual schools and some of the new schools under construction. So uh, what, what's what's unique about Knoxville is that it's it's very diverse in that you have rural, suburban, and urban, all three of those in one district. And that's unusual for our size. Usually, you know, large districts and cities have kind of a very urban, uh, you know, mainly they're very homogenous when it comes to that. So we have kind of this across the board. You know, so so I think what's important for us is how do we make big small right and i think it's the same kind of thing in a big school how do you make it small how do you find a place for voices how do you find a place to specialize and do particular things for needs at that level um, and i think we need to do the same in our district it's not a one-size-fits-all district uh, you know what west knoxville may want and need may be different than what the center of the city may want and need may be different than what we see in east knoxville and so uh, you know, we have to have high expectations for all students, but we also need to make sure that we're looking specifically into what's going on in those areas and providing the right support so that students can be successful. I know now you're becoming more of a household name in Knoxville and Knox County because you're going to be the superintendent where everybody, of all the schools. So sure. why don't you tell us how you got into education and what made you want to do this? Yeah, so uh, that's, that's, that's good. You know, I've asked that question, you know, did you want to do this? Was this your goal your whole life? And I'm like, no, I mean, I can't say it was. I'm glad it played out that way. I'm glad that was God's plans for my life, but that was not necessarily where I started. So, uh, yeah, for me, um, I started um, and I went to UT in my undergrad and, and really I had thought about becoming a, like a pediatrician. So that was kind of so I knew there was a kid piece in there. Right. But mm -hmm. uh, was a big science nerd, enjoyed those things uh, and, and realized that that wasn't really the path I was going to be on. But really uh, was a big sports guy, enjoyed that a lot. Basketball player, tennis player, did all those kinds of things. And uh, and really uh, was had, had known some teachers, uh, had enjoyed teaching, had joined, you know, had been very enjoyed the high school experience and all through those experiences in school. So I knew that I liked that uh, and, and decided, well, I think I'm going to I think I'm going to coach and, and teach. Um, and so I went back to finish up um, my, my master's degree in that. Uh, and, and really, I'll tell you, I never knew that I would fall in love with it like I did. My internship year, I was in a program at UT where it was a full year. Uh, and I was at Bearden High School and, and the teachers there, the support there from that science department. Uh, and I got to see firsthand, they let me teach a lot, um, just, just really the impact that you can have. Um, and I think twofold, one, how you get to relate with kids and be part of that. And then I think the other part, just how you can love your subject and really enjoy that and, and see students turned on to that. Um, and so, so that really was where I fell in love with it. I think that I knew I had the bug then, that's what I wanted to do moving forward after that first year. I know some administrators say they became administrators so they could impact all students and not just students in their classes. What made you made that transition from being a science teacher to being an administrator? It's a good question. I'll, I'll say it happened here at Carnes. So, um, you know, I, so I had been teaching. Uh, the opportunity came. I was a biology teacher and ecology teacher. Uh, the opportunity came where the science department chair was open, um, and the principal at that time had asked me if I wanted to do it. So again, I wasn't positive that that was the road I wanted to take in administration, but. Uh, I found that I really loved uh, working with the science department and that team and having to build common goals. And, you know, back then we didn't have the technology we had. I remember we were all trying to pull our money together so we could buy projectors so we could project things. And that's how long ago it was. Uh, but just that whole, I realized, wow, when we work together and we build kind of common goals and, and we can all pull in that one direction and achieve things, like I really enjoyed that at that point. Uh, as a department chair, they started letting me help with like master schedule and thinking through those kinds of things. And I love solving that puzzle and trying to get, you know, kids in the classes they needed to be in. So uh, I, I got to where I was loving that as much as I was loving teaching uh, and spending. Actually, when I was here, would give up my plan period to actually come down and help in the office and, 
and they let me help with some discipline and help with you know calling families and doing things like that and and found that I really liked kind of telling the story of the school too and being like a leader in the school and doing those things so uh, had that opportunity to to interview for an assistant principal job and and interviewed two jobs back to back two schools back to back at Gibbs and at, at Fulton and on two consecutive days and got the offer at the Fulton uh, at Fulton to go there be the assistant principal and I always wondered it was funny that it, that I messed up the interview at, at Gibbs uh, and I ran into that principal one day and asked that question I was like was that that bad and they said no we called off you the job but you're already taking the Fulton job so I felt a little better. <laughs> <laughs> so. You've come up in Knox County, taught there most of your life, been an administrator in Knox County. How do you think, and being the assistant superintendent, mm -hmm. how do you think being an internal candidate and being in Knox County is going to help you be the superintendent of Knox County? You know, that's, that's a good question, too. Yeah, I think um, it's about relationships. Anything in life, any job you do, anything is going to be about relationships. And I think I've been blessed to have the opportunity to um, serve um, for multiple decades in Knox County with people. I mean, even coming in today, seeing teachers that I know, you know, like having those relationships that are there, um, it lets you know uh, how you can work together and how you can, you know, people can be honest with you and they know who you are. And, you know, I think sometimes if you come from the outside, there's nothing wrong with that. But when you, when you do that, I think you've got to spend a year to two years just building those relationships before you can even start moving forward. Um, I think in the schools I have that, but I think also just in the community. I mean, the, the mayors have been great. I've known them for a long time, folks like county commissioners and our board members. And, and I think it just allows us to move faster. Uh, we can kind of hit the ground running and start doing things as opposed to, you know, having to pause for that six months to a year to kind of, you know, go around and meet everybody and do all those. I mean, it's still we'll plan to be out and doing those things, but, I, but I'm fortunate that I know folks in most of the communities in Knoxville. So I think that'll be helpful that we can get to, get to work pretty quick. You talk about knowing people in Knoxville and building relationships. Something that a lot of schools talk or a lot of schools partner with is, you know, University of Tennessee Knoxville is mm -hmm. in our backyard and we have Pellissippi down the road. That's where we like do our dual enrollment. Mm -hmm. How do you plan on partnering with some of these colleges to help forward education in Knox County? Yeah, that's a great it's great too. And and you know, kind of where uh, the goal I think for a long time had been graduation. And I think we have to think beyond graduation. We have to uh, it's not good enough for us to kind of check the box that students walked across the stage. Um, and, and I think our principals feel this way too. Uh, we need to make sure that they're prepared for life after that. And one way that you do that is what kind of exposures do you get before you leave high school? You know, if there's, there's research out that shows if you have taken, you know, uh, kind of advanced academics classes, AP classes, Cambridge classes, IB classes, or dual enrollment classes, kind of had that experience and exposure to what life in, in college looks like and had success, then students have a much better chance of going on and being, you know, successful to say, oh, I can do this, or man, my freshman classes weren't as hard as I, as I thought they were. Uh, and I think we have to continue to open those kinds of opportunities up. Uh, Dr. Wise at Pellissippi, I've known for a long time. We've worked on lots of committees, you know, just in the city uh, together. Uh, uh, Randy Boyd and Donnie Plowman, both at the university, have been very supportive and have a good relationship with them as well. And, and I think, um, I think both of those are places we uh, we tend to just think about two place two relationships. Then we think, we tend to think about like teacher prep, like recruiting teachers out of their programs as they develop them, and we think about just sending students there. But uh, my conversations with them are there's a whole other uh, range of things they bring: their school of business, their school of economics, their research arm. There are all those kinds of things that you get that's uh, that makes Knoxville unique to have a university like that, and even Pellissippi is the largest community college in the state. Uh, there's a lot of resource there that we can come together and try to do some things together for uh, for just educating in general. Speaking of helping kids after graduation, something that a lot of teachers and students have been meeting with and doing this year is 
preparing for Ford next generation learning. And that's going to be coming to Carnes, mm-hmm. and so it really hits home for us. Why don't you explain what that is, and you know what the goals are coming yeah. in the future years with that? Well, we're, I, we were we were excited because, um, and, and kudos to Mr. Corm and the administrative staff because uh, we kind of left that open to all sixteen of our high schools to say, you know, and, uh, we have this partner, um, and, and I'll explain their work in a second. Uh, and we left that open for them to kind of choose if they felt like their staff and their school was ready to kind of take this journey to reimagine high school and reimagine those experiences. And uh, and Carnes was one of the seven. We had seven schools that said we want to be the first group to go through. And uh, and eventually over the course of the next three to four years, all the high schools will go through this. But uh, it really kind of goes back to what we were talking about. It really is a reimagining the high school experience. It's really being purposeful and intentional. Um, there's still places, and, and again, it's good effort, but uh, there's a, there's this quote from a book called Atomic Habits that says organizations rarely r- rise to the level of their goals; they often fall to the level of their systems. Right? And so, what what do we have systematically in place for every student in Knox County from sixth grade to twelfth grade to expose them to careers, to counsel them every year, to you know do the internships and those kinds of things? And and I think that's really what this is about. How do we build an intentional system in every one of our uh, middle and high schools so that every student coming in uh, has the ability to take like aptitude testing to see uh, if we don't do that and have career exposure what we see in research is that students tend to do what they know what their parents do or it might be an aunt or an uncle or a, somebody that they get kind of a career exposure and they go well, I want to do that sometimes there's a whole uh, system of careers that people have never been exposed to but they might have an aptitude or a skill set just naturally that they're gifted in that area that they don't have exposure it's, it's our job to try to find that in middle school and then expose them to that so so part of this Ford work really is that. It's about building out um, career and tech ed programs um, that really have exposure. The beauty of career and tech education is not, um, is not just well, kids that are good with their hands. Like that was a thing for a long time. We go to your hands and go do that. If you're not, it's not. It's, it's a different kind of education. Like career and tech ed, kind of what we're doing right now. Like this could kind of be seen as a program where it's hands-on, it's experiential, it's different than you know just reading in a book. It gives you a chance to kind of test things and do things. So. Um, our goal is that every high school at the end of this will have robust career and tech ed programs that are alongside their robust advanced academic programs so that all kids can be ready and have access. So uh, it's a process. I mean, it's a process. We have to think differently about our counseling. We have to think differently about how we team teachers. Uh, we have to think differently about how we, what we expose students to and choices they have in their schedule. And um, so I think you'll see a lot of that in these seven, first seven schools next year, they'll, uh, all seven will have a freshman academy where a principal will be assigned, a counselor will be assigned, uh, and, and teams of teacher will physically be in one part of the building. And, and the beauty of that is just building relationships again. So students, you know, walk the halls and rub elbows with the same teachers throughout the day as opposed to, I saw you at 8.30 this morning and I won't see you again until tomorrow. So it's really kind of that team approach, building teams of adults around students uh, for relationships and also for better academic outcomes. So outside of the Freshman Academy, Will there be, like, academies for certain subjects, sort mm-hmm. of like, you know, other schools in the county like Hardin Valley has? Or how would that work, like, in practice? Yeah, we had two, two of our high schools have done some of that academy structure, um, Hardin Valley being one of them, Fulton High School being another one of those. Uh, and so, so really what happens, so there's the ninth grade kind of experience for all students, freshman academies and exposure to these things. And then it's, it kind of plays a little bit like college after that. You kind of have this, uh, schools do it different ways. Some may make have students apply to these upper academies. You know, some may just, just put you in there, but uh, what you try to do instead of offering, uh, you know, 20 of something, you might settle in on, you know, three to five ideas, a health science, a STEM, or something like that. 
Um, and then students kind of choose in or, or selected into those programs. They'll still get their English, math, all those kinds of things that they're used to getting social studies and science. But now in their elective focus, the, um, the, it will be geared a little more toward, you know, like a STEM one. There may be some engineering classes that are mixed in there with what you need for graduation. Uh, over time, teachers start pairing up and doing projects together. It's kind of called teaching through the lens where, where they're thinking about if in this career, this might be the slant you need in English and maybe what you read is a novel about something that's tied to that. So it's really trying to connect all the dots for those students in their 10th through 12th grade so they have this experience. And it's not trying to pigeonhole a student to say, well, you pick STEM, so now you have to go to college and do STEM. Some, for some students it is, and they pick up you know credits that they need and they're like, boy, it really got me a jump start. But we've also heard in visiting other districts that do this that some students say, wow, it helped me realize I really don't want to go into medicine. You know, and it's like, that's great to figure that out at 18 instead of 22. Um, so it's really about, about kind of that exposure, but it's really about relationships and building that around students. You talk about basically overhauling high schools in Knox County and trying to change in the way we think about it. What about for Knox County schools as a whole? You've been in, you've worked in the Knox County, like downtown office, you're the mm -hmm. assistant superintendent. Do you think the culture there is good or are you going to take like a, I don't know, a wrecking ball approach and you know, yeah. wipe clean and start <laughs> yeah. over? What do you, uh, what do you think about that? Well, I'll say this. I mean, I, I think that you, um, any leader, part of their job is to assess uh, where everything is. Um, and and I think as leader of Knox County Schools, we'll have to do that. We have, we have incredibly great people. Um, and uh, I think you always have to take a healthy look at back to what are the priorities that we talked before, the four things that we're trying to get done. And if we, a, a machine or an organization as big as we are that's funded by taxpayers, if we're saying these are the things we're going to deliver on, we need to look and make sure that our resources are aligned to that, our positions are aligned to that. Uh, ultimately, that it's the the most important part is not the district office the most important part is each school because that's where the learning happens that's where the relationship with principals and teachers are so it's it's our job to make sure that we're aligning to be full support that we're out in the field and not you know just in a uh, in the central office area um, there are things we have to do obviously from that point when you know purchase textbooks and do those kinds of things that you do for the whole district but uh, it really is about how do we get out and how can we be valuable support to the principals and teachers to get their job done so that students succeed. Pivoting kind of off of that, you were you worked for Knox County on both sides of the pandemic. Mm -hmm. How do you think it, uh, schooling and education is different now than you know pre twenty twenty whenever? Yeah, so uh, you're right. It was. I mean, there was lots of challenges in it. So I, I would say there there were. As disruptive as it was, there actually were some good things. Um, two things I can think of for sure. Well, three. One was, you know, we, we had always had kind of this, do we move into the digital age, right? Do we get to where, and it was kind of, you know, if, if PTAs could donate money or coupon books could be sold and schools could get five more computers, you know, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But we never could make this entire push. We had a few schools that had been able to do that. Um, so I love the fact that we went, we became a one-to-one -one district kind of overnight. You know, everyone had a Chromebook and we had Canvas and technology to do that. And, and you know, to see, I know that was a lot to get done in a short amount of time, but it happened. Uh, and it wasn't perfect and we had a lot to learn through that. But, you know, now kind of looking on the backside of that, when I go visit schools and I walk into classes, almost everyone's still using Canvas for submissions. And if they're out for a day, they're working on it. And I'm going, that's a... That's something that I don't think we would have done that fast or could have done that. It'd probably been a six-year rollout instead of a six-month rollout. So um, I think that's definitely a positive from that. I think another thing was we've launched three virtual schools. We never had those. I mean, they've been approved by the state. 
Um, so now if you're a student in Knox County and you really feel like you learn better virtually and want to have that, we built some pretty robust programs at the middle elementary and, and high level. And then the third thing I would say is um, I think because there was so much virtual that it kind of re-engaged parents back into education in a way that they hadn't it kind of been this like, well, we drop you off, not totally, but, you know, we kind of drop you off mm -hmm. at the curb, you educate the, you know, our child and we'll come pick them up when the day's over. And I think because they were, you know, they were watching the classes, they were, you know, they, a lot of them were at home too during, uh, during the COVID and those sorts of things. I think there was a respect for what teachers do. Um, and I think that people kind of re-engaged in the curriculum. And I think now kind of where we are this year, you're seeing a lot of those discussions at the state level uh, with the legislators about, you know, what, what should be in curriculum, what should, like, we've not had that level of engagement in that. And I'm not saying it's all positive engagement. Some of it's maybe a little too much engagement, but uh, from the legislator side, I'm saying, but, um, but I think it's a good thing for, uh, for the fact that it's kind of elevated education back to be an important issue in, in every home. What, uh, what do you think about virtual schooling? Because I know, like you said, the legislators, that has been a very highly debated topic. Like, sure. they don't want schools going online or stuff like that. What do you think about virtual schooling and having teachers on one side of a computer and a student on the other? Yeah, you know, I, I think it's, I don't think it is the answer. I think it has a place. You know, we talk mm -hmm. back to the diverse district that we have. I think it definitely has a place for, for some students and for some families' lifestyles. Um, you know, I still say the relationship that you have with, uh, with a teacher and interacting day to day, I think that's extremely important for students to have that. Um, so I think I think students need to find that at some level. But I will say, with the technologies and the uh, the processes that our virtual teachers have set up, they really build relationships. If you go to our, you know, if I've been able to see our virtual schools and I've been able to sit with teachers while they teach the class, and those relationships can still be built. Um, some, you know, the chat rooms and all those kind of things that are built out of that, I think, is really a good thing. And I think it works for some families. I, I think it's probably a smaller portion of families and students that, that really excel in that. And I think that's our job is to make sure that um, as, as the dust settles, I think there was a COVID response that kind of forced that in. But as the dust settles, it's our job to figure out what is the future of it. Is it, is it you know, for 5% of the student population that, that this works for them? Uh, are there other things like homebound like, that we could try to put in there when a student's got an injury or a medical situation that you know, allows you to have multiple teachers that you can access you know, on, online? So I think the sky's the limit of what it can be. Um, I don't think it's necessarily for everyone, but I think it, it works really well for the students that it works well for. Another thing from talking to teachers coming into this, I asked, you know, how do they think, like what are some of their worries? And a lot of them said that teaching now compared to pre-COVID is a lot harder and they mm. feel like like they got into it for the love of the students but it's almost like they're feeling burnt out and stuff like that mm. how do you prepare to keep like teacher retention and yeah not lose teachers who are you know giving up a lot to teach students and that's a great question too and i think we're seeing that across the country in a lot of fields um i had, had uh, done some reading on that just trying to think like what's the psychology behind what's going on with that and and some things that I found were, you know, when, when, you, when you have near-death experiences, it causes people to kind of rethink their whole life. Um, and so, again, not unique just to education, but I think COVID was something that devastated people socially. And then also, you know, some people had actual physical loss of loved ones or themselves, you know, that kind of thing, or, or, or people close to them or, or it affected them medically. And I think that really caused people to kind of rethink their time and how they wanted to spend their time. So... Uh, again, it's not just unique to education that we have a loss in that. I mean, it's hard to fill Starbucks right now with workers, mm -hmm. you know, that sort of thing. So I think, I think we're at a place where people are taking a pause and kind of re-examining some things. Um, I would say to teachers, it is the most rewarding 
profession to be in. It is a place where if you want to have an impact and shape the next generation, um, it, there's nothing you can do better than to be a teacher. I think there's a camaraderie among schools and, and among staff. Uh, it's kind of like a small little community when you're part of a team working with kids. I mean, all the fun stuff from football games to homecoming dances to all those kinds of things, plus just interacting with students and knowing that you can have an impact. I think it's a very rewarding profession. Uh, but I think it brought a lot of challenges through COVID when it became, you know, making sure kids had masks and they were six feet apart and, you know, the learning loss that happens and, and the extra stress to try to make up for a year of kind of interrupted learning, all those things pile in and stress at any place is going to do that. So um, I think we need to continue to use these next couple of years to provide supports and close some of those gaps, listen to our teachers uh, and, and, uh, and really, you know, what we're seeing with the shortage right now, find alternative ways to get more people certified to teach and to come into the profession. Because kind of like my story, I, I kind of thought about it, got into it and fell in love with it and have spent the last 20 years doing it. So, um, I, I still believe in that. I think we just have to, uh, again, find ways in these next couple of years to, to help support teachers, help support students so that the gaps are closed that will make it easier on teaching for teachers. And then, open the door for uh, other ways for people to come into the teaching profession. Something else you brought up with uh, COVID-19 was masking and in schools like this year we're required to wear masks. A lot of that has also brought upon like politics and mm. debates uh, with education. How do you plan on in Knox County making sure that we aren't politicized and that the focus really is on the students? That's a good question too because you're right. I mean it's um there's, there's a lot of folks who think about lots of different things, um, and, and, uh, and, and it can easily take our attention off of what really matters, right? Um, and so I, I look at it this way. It, it, no matter if it's a school system or any other company, they always tell you that every company needs to figure out what is it uniquely positioned to do. Um, and, and Knox County Schools is the only organization in Knoxville that's job is to prepare students for the future and to educate them for those those 13 years that we have them um, and so that tells me and, and other kinds of things there are other people who are in that space but that's the one space that we're in uh, and so to me it's having that laser focus every day and and saying you know like this is part of where we need to partner with the community. This is not just the school systems issue, you know, all the different kinds of things that rise up. So I think it's our job to keep our focus back on the four things I talked about around, uh, around learning, around student outcomes, around preparing them for careers post that and doing that. So uh, that takes discipline. That takes making sure everyone from the superintendent's office to the custodian at a school understands these, this is what we're going to be about and reminders of that and celebrating that. Uh, and I think that's very important. Uh, sometimes there's there's noise that we have no control over and and uh, as I've said on things like masks we're gonna be serious about reading and math whether a kid's wearing a mask or not you know I know those can be personal distractions and people have personal feelings about those being positive negative I you know this report that report but in the end if we have students who can't read and can't do math then we really lose um, so we're gonna try to we're gonna try to do the best we can in that and let the the courts and the and the legislators, you know, fight and do all those kinds of things. We're going to stay focused on what we do have control over, which is learning for students. Yes, sir. You also talk about from, you know, the superintendent and the school board all the way down to the custodian. In Knox County, how do you bridge, because some teachers feel like, you know, maybe the school board isn't listening to them or they're divided. How do you bridge that gap and have unity all the way from, you know, the, the lowest person on the totem pole in Knox mm -hmm. County all the way up to your office? Yeah, you know, I think a lot of it has to do with um, being clear, being transparent, and communicating well, right? So um, I think 
I think we have to know what we believe in. And again, that's why I've laid out those four priorities and said, this is what we're going to focus on. Um, and then we've got to, we got to hope that and, and make sure that people have ways to understand and have input into each one of those areas. Um, and again, there's a lot of outside other things that will come in and say, well, why don't you do this? Or how come you all can't do this too and this too and this too? And we have to say, this is our mission. These are the things that we're focused on that we can make a difference. And, and I think uh, then you listen to everybody along the way, again, from the custodian all the way up. Uh, and that doesn't mean that there's not going to be times when people disagree. I, I've worked with a lot of people over 20 years, um, and I'll say that what they think they're doing, they feel is what's best for kids, and I feel what's best for kids too. We don't always agree on that, but I, I do think there's common ground on the fact that what we want is what's best for students, um, and we might just have different ways we think we need to get there. So. Uh, disagreeance doesn't bother me. Uh, we just got to find common ground toward uh, working for students. All right, I want to pivot to another topic that was brought up when I, because I asked around, you know, hey, what, what's your concerns coming mm -hmm. into this next school year? Because I think as a whole, we all need to push in the same direction, like mm -hmm. you've been saying. And as the county and the city of Knoxville grow, we see more people come into schools. And, you know, maybe there's overcrowding in some schools and the places in the county. How do you see to combat that almost? Because... I mean, we're a large district that's still getting larger, so. Yeah, I mean, and we see that in, um, I've got to go attend a few lunches at some uh, different realtor places. And I mean, Knoxville's growing like crazy right now. It's one of the hottest spots and, and that's great. I mean, we're, we're glad people see the value and the values that we have in Knox County and, and it's a wonderful place to live and we see that too. So uh, I, I think you know, you've got to do the best you can with projection data. We work with some different organizations in the, uh, in the county and in the region that are kind of predicting where, you know, where homes are being built, where things are being sold, and they have kind of calculations off that of how many students are, you know, coming with that. And uh, it, it's hard. It's, it's you know, here's the, here's the challenge of that. When you, um, where you need those things to happen, a new school, an expansion of a school, uh, are also where property is the most expensive, right? Because everybody wants to be there. So it's kind of this kit, you know, you don't, you don't want to buy something up 20 years from now and it's a farm that nobody ever gets to. Mm -hmm. But the flip side is when you buy it in the middle of, of uh, a boom, you know, it's, there's not huge acres of lots sitting around where you can build a school. So, uh, you know, just trying to continue to work again with the mayor's office, with uh, the Metropolitan Planning Committee to kind of have an idea. Trying, we try to stay five years out, six years out, projecting where... We think those things are going to happen. Um, and then, of course, you know, the board has to make decisions on the dollars that are allocated for that and that sort of thing. So um, I think that's the best we can do is, is you know, do, use in every decision we make. It's what data you have that gives you the best chance to make predictions to do that. And then how do you align the resources to get that done? Uh, it's, it's a little more complicated than that, but that's kind of mm -hmm. the goal. As we begin to wrap up here, what do you you've watched Mr. Bob Thomas? You've been the assistant superintendent. What do you think will be the hardest challenge? of being the superintendent of Knox County? You know, he's been, he's a great guy with a great heart, uh, known him for a long time. And, um, you know, I've known, known previous superintendents too, when you kind of, you know, see, see what that looks like. And uh, I would say the biggest thing is, uh, cause someone asked me a question the other day, you know, well, if, if, if we're getting on the end of COVID, well, that'll be nicer to move on. And I said, there'll just be something else. Like that's mm -hmm. just the nature of, of any organization this big, which is, which is great. I mean, that's why I'm, I'm excited about the superintendency, but you know, typically problems that are, that don't have difficult answers are answered long before they get to the, <laughs> to the superintendent's office, you know, mm -hmm. principal makes the call, teacher makes the call, you know, those are ones, and they're not always easy. They do a great job making those, but typically the, the toughest stuff's going to roll all the way up to the board and, 
and the superintendent to make those kinds of decisions. So like I've, I've seen it enough to be aware that this is not just a COVID issue. There, there'll be something else that will come along, uh, you know, and then at that point we need to know what, what we stand for, what we're about, uh, listen to listen to people on, on kind of changing things, do our research, look at the data, and then make the best decision for kids. So uh, I think that'll be the biggest challenge is we don't know what the next thing is. We don't know if it'll be a snow day. We don't know if it'll be like, those are always fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm, I'm, I've been fortunate to be able to be on those calls for the last five years. But, uh, you know, it's, it's, you, don't have, you have what you have, and you try to make the best call you can and try to keep kids safe. And so those kinds of things are, uh, it's fun, though. You just kind of embrace the chaos and, again, make the best decision for students and teachers. You bring up snow days, and, I mean, I guess arguably the most important question that I'm going to ask you for students <laughs> is, you know, what, I guess what – I want to know what goes into making a snow day call. Yeah, it's fun. And, and like, I guess – do you like making snow days? I don't know. What yeah, do you, what no, do it's a, it's a, no, that's a great question. I'll tell you, it's, it's a, I think you go into it, first of all, knowing that you're not going to make everybody happy, right? I mean, yeah. it's, uh, it's, it's, it, when you got 60,000 kids and families that are follow that, it's, it's hard. But, uh, you know, we always try to do it based on safety. So I'll, I'll kind of take you through what that looks like. So, you know, we do, we do the same thing everybody else does. We watch the weather and we kind of can see what, what's projected three days out, four days out. Uh, and we do these weather calls. So um, it's typically the superintendent and, and we have someone from our security team, our transportation team, uh, four or five other kind of top cabinet people. And we do weather calls. So depending on when it's supposed to hit, we try to stay 12 hours or so ahead of that, like kind of talking through and, and getting those ideas. And, and sometimes we'll do evening and night. Uh, because then it comes how fast can you communicate out like you want to make that decision as soon as you can so families have time to make their decisions unfortunately in east tennessee we're usually when 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 cloudy weather comes in it pushes us right above that 32 degrees right they're easy Mm -hmm. calls when it's 25 right because you know the snow is coming when the the, Mm when but we're usually like 34 like is it going to snow or not you know it's either going to be wet roads or it's going to be so and usually the time that happens is like anywhere between you know two in the morning and six and so that's the t- and, and that's when people, you know, like, well, who should we have known the night before? Like, oh, we do too. So we usually do calls like we'll have a meeting in the afternoon before. We'll do a call that night. Um, and then if we, don't, if we still don't have clarity, uh, we, we talk to the weather services and kind of get their predictions. And uh, we usually do a call like 4.30 in the morning uh, trying to get before buses roll out again and kind of where are we. We've got people in different parts of the county. We've got people who have driven different roads in Canada. We know where our uh, hot spots typically are when, when that higher elevations or more rural kind of roads. And mm-hmm. uh, we try to have eyes on that kind of thing and then try to predict is this, this going to be over – you know, it's all the precipitation, all three channels and the weather service saying that it's all going to be gone in 30 minutes or, you know, hey, more's coming this afternoon. Like just thinking through all that. And, and you know, and, and our goal is always safety. You know, we don't want to get people out on the road. It's hard to turn the buses once they're out there. Um, so we try to make those calls, uh, you know, prior to that time and, uh, and, and let folks know. So that's kind of the process. Um, and, and typically we are on the side of caution when it comes to that. Awesome. Well, everybody loves a snow day, I guess. Oh, yeah. Yeah. My kids do, too. So, <laughs> so uh, I guess my last question is, what's going to be your – what are you looking forward to the most or what do you think will be your favorite thing about your new opportunity as the superintendent? You know, I, I, it comes back to kids for me all the time. You know, just seeing seeing what, what uh, the opportunities we can provide, um, you know, the, the students who graduate who go on and do things. Again, I've been doing this long enough where I've had students that I've had that, that – and it's just – that's – that's the rewarding part to know that, you know, like Knoxville's going to be in good hands long after I'm gone and retired um, because of the work of our teachers and the work of our principals and uh, just, you know, the work they do is so important. And to be able to be, uh, to have an opportunity to be part of that 
uh, and try to support that and try to make that job uh, easier and, and provide what they need to make that happen. Uh, I think that's a, it's a great honor, you know, to be able to be in a role to do that. So I'm, I'm most excited about that and to see uh, our students and our teachers and our principals be successful. Awesome. Well, Dr. Reiswick, thank you for coming on today. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. And I want to thank everybody for listening. And you can find all of our content at thecarnschronicle.com and uh, Dispatches from the Dam on Spotify and Apple for our podcasts. Uh, like and subscribe. Thank you.